Pornography is a multi-billion dollar industry that enslaves millions of people worldwide. In fact, the most searched for terms on the internet every single day are related to pornography. The porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, and MLB combined. It's also more than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn, and 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. 47% of families in the United States reported that pornography is a problem in their home. Pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. Pornography is insidious not just because of what it does to a person spiritually, both its creator and consumer, but because of how it actually rewires the human brain. Neurologists are now discovering that regular pornography users possess neuropathways in their brains similar to those found in the brains of heroin addicts. A 2014 study found that men who watched more porn had less gray matter volume. They literally had smaller brains. The neurological damage porn creates is responsible for things like social anxiety, brain fog, emotional numbness, lethargy, depression, loss of interest towards an actual partner or spouse, and erectile dysfunction in men as young as 22. Due to its horrible spiritual, emotional, relational, and neurological effects, why would anybody, especially a Bible-believing Christian, still choose to view pornography? What is it that a person is after every time they click? Is it really an erotic experience of sexual arousal that they want? Or are they in search of something deeper, something more profound, yet so incredibly elusive. A quick disclaimer for our regular listeners. The following episode features some pretty frank discussions related to sex, pornography, and physical intimacy. If you find any of the content triggering or distasteful or traumatic in any way, we recommend you sitting this one out and checking out some of our other episodes. All right, you've been warned. You ready? Well, welcome everybody to the Beards and Bible podcast, podcast where we talk all things Bible, all things beards, and all things in between. I have a fresh hot cup of coffee in front of me, and I'm staring directly into the face of one Gabe Rutledge. How are mm. you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, are you staring directly into my face? I'm actually staring directly into a webcam, which is directed directly into your face. Okay. So which, just like, for clarity's purposes. Which, which of my eyes are you looking into? Um, to be honest, I'm not. I'm kind of looking at this uh, this haircut thing you got going on here. What's going on with this? Can you explain it to me? Is this a new, Stacey, new look for you? Yeah, Stacy cut my hair for me. And um, yeah, as she always does. She does a good job. But I think she she brought the hairline up a little bit per my request, a little bit higher. Um, yeah. I'm going for that uh, llama top youth pastor uh <laughs> Worship leader look. It, it kind of looks, just to be honest, a little bit like Hitler Youth. I'm not going to lie. Oh, like, gosh. Could, yeah. Just, yeah. you know, like, not to say that you subscribe to those ideologies, clearly, but you know what I mean? I mean, kind of short on the sides and yeah, long, long on top. Kind of like the reverse mullet like you had when we were in college. Mm. Hmm. Well, yeah, I know what I'm doing right after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Shave the whole <laughs> thing off. Yeah. 
See, what's interesting is you want your hairline to be higher, Mm -hmm. but my hairline, as you can see, based on the angle of the camera, Mm -hmm. is is getting higher without me intentionally trying to raise it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't noticed. But yeah, I mean, it's just on the sides. Like, I want it higher because I I have these things called, Stacey and I call fluffy sides, and it's just the way my hair follicles are positioned right above my ears Mm -hmm. that when it grows out, a certain length, they get really like, they just point straight out and it, I look like a, I don't know. It just, it looks really unkempt. So I try to get it really close on the sides and then go up higher. Yeah. I don't know. But, um, but now, let me ask you at what point, <laughs> so you're, you, you might, your hairline might be receding, but I'm going yes. super, super gray really quickly. Oh, talk, don't even talk to me about that. About look at this right here. But, um, people listening are like, Oh my gosh, this is so, <laughs> but <laughs> this I, is what I, happens when you hit your mid thirties. Yeah. You're like, Hey, guess what? I'm going gray. I'm going bald. Me yeah. too. <laughs> Get gray hair and a vasectomy. That's, that's, that's <laughs> life. I mean, that's it. Let's not get on that topic. Um, yeah. Let's avoid okay. that. But let's let, let that ship sail. Hey, at what point will you, will you take the plunge and do the shave or you, will you shave your head at some point? You know, I was talking with my barber about that. My barber, his name is Pedro and he comes to the church and Pedro has been cutting my hair for years. And last time I had a haircut from Pedro, I looked at him. I said, Pedro, you gotta be honest with me, man. I said, is, is my hairline receding and what do I need to continue to do? Cause I don't want to be that weird dude that does the comb over, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, man, give it up. Like you're, you're going bald. Like, yeah. And he just like stopped and like put his, his trimmers down and just like stared off into space and sighed really deep. And I got like really concerned cause I'm like, man, am I a lot more bald than I thought? And he goes, you know, this is the hardest conversation I have to have with my clients. Mm. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> he goes, man, you just keep doing what you're doing. And I'll let you know when it's time to shave it off. Okay. So you've, you've given Pedro the authority to decide that decision for you. I have, this is the thing, man. He's the one that kind of decides on my hairstyle and -hmm. the haircut I get because he has to stare at my head every Sunday. Mm. So, um, when I need a haircut, he's usually the one that comes to me and tells me I need a haircut. Yeah. And then I go into his shop and he, he trims me up real good, but yeah, he gives me some, I don't know, hipster cool fade thing going on but then my hair grows out like it is now and it's like you can tell that i'm balding and not as cool as i try to look but so here's a scenario jenny tells you she wants you to shave it Mm -hmm. but pedro wants you to keep it (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, ooh, that's kind of like the lifeboat uh scenario that we went over in ethics class yeah I don't know. Uh, I think the easy, easy answer is obviously my wife. Okay. Yeah. My wife would win out on that. Sorry, Pedro, if you're listening. Yeah. That's just, that's I don't think he is. I don't think he he podcasts, but yeah, sorry, Pedro, but yeah, Yeah. I don't know. I don't even know what my head would look like, Paul. I probably have a lumpy looking head. So who knows? But, uh, Hmm. anyway, I don't know how we got off on that topic, but we've just spent the first five minutes of our episode today talking about our hairstyles and premature balding and, growing old and all that good stuff so yeah how's the rest of your life going how's your summer going it's going well yeah just uh dodging the heat and uh yeah actually we're um stacy is stacy's out and about right now and the boys three boys are upstairs 
completely unsupervised. So mm. the likelihood of a uh, burst in from one of them is very high, you know, yes. especially uh, all they do is quarrel and uh, fight mm. just like any brothers would do. But they're yeah. best friends, don't get me wrong, but they, they fight like cats sometimes. Cats oh, and yeah. dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same with my kids. That makes me feel better that my kids are at least somewhat normal. Yeah. So you have three sons. Mm-hmm. I have two sons. Wait a second. And I feel like yes. a segue. There's a segue coming up. There, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I was trying to weave that in naturally, but you kind I of just... disrupted the flow. So sorry, sorry. Continue. No, you're good. You're good. But this is something to think about. You have three boys. I have two mm-hmm. boys. Mm-hmm. This topic that we're talking about today, pornography, the brain, and intimacy. Do you ever think mm-hmm. about the kind of world that your sons are going to grow up in and how pornography could potentially negatively affect their lives? Because that's the kind of thing yeah. that sometimes keeps me up at night. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It does. Um the the access to information is getting broader and broader and and more unfettered by the day i mean the fact that there are um you know some some of the kids i taught in school you know 15 16 years old i mean even when i taught seventh and eighth grade they all had smartphones as well um when when you and i were their age you know we had dial-up internet at best but you know when i was their age i had to go to the local library to get on the internet and and to you know listen to music or download music from Napster or whatever, but I had to go to the library to do that, you know? And nowadays it's, it's just exponentially increased in terms of our access to information and images. But yeah, absolutely. I, I think about that. I try, I try my best. I pray for wisdom on how to navigate those waters if, and when they do present themselves. Yeah. So your oldest is what? 12, 13, 13. Yeah. He's 13. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can get as vulnerable as you want to get, or you can get as open as you want to get. But uh, how has pornography negatively affected your life? Has that ever at a point in in your life been a struggle or a roadblock for you at any point in your life? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a red blooded man, and yeah, I mean, just at the the age of, gosh, I mean, kind of it's it's comical now, but it, it speaks to the drive and the pursuit that God put in every boy. But at a young age, I remember, you know, we used to get the, like the Sears catalogs in the mail, like the big, yeah. huge Sears catalogs. And I remember like tearing out pages of the lingerie portion mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. folding them up and hiding them in my room. And ultimately my dad catching me, like hiding these, these yep. things and him giving <laughs> me this long talk about, you know, why we don't dwell on these kinds of images and stuff. But yeah, I remember, I remember at a very young age being, uh, you know, obviously just attracted to naked women that was just you know it's very instinctual of, of a man to to be drawn to that yeah and then yeah as information and my my ability to access information grew absolutely um i i had a uh i constantly flirted with um you know a fascination with pornography or ca- casual use of it um and yeah, it's, it absolutely something that until I got to a point where I was like, okay, um, this is unhealthy. Um, I, I need to do something drastic in order to prevent this from being reoccurring and having a stronghold in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's something that, that, you know, you will always, uh, there's just, there's just too much there at your fingertips to not be able to 
withstand the temptation that is, is before you. So you've yeah. got to do, and we're going to talk about some practical things um, later in the show, but you've got to do some very practical, very simple, but, but you've got to do something if you're listening to this and you struggle, uh, you know, you can just uh, casually or, you know, once a week or, you know, more than that, like you've got to do something to break that habit. And it's very important that you do ASAP. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Exposure to it, I think is, and we'll see some statistics here in a minute, but exposure to pornography is happening mm -hmm. earlier and earlier on average in the lives of children. You know, I, I think back when I was first exposed to pornography, I was um, probably around the same, you know, time growing up, Gabe, you and I are around the same age. So, you know, the Victoria's Secret magazines and the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit magazines, all that stuff, that was kind of a curiosity that was building. And then when I was about 11, um, my brother uh, exposed me and showed me internet pornography mm. at 11. And, and I don't think an 11 year old really has kind of the emotional faculty to understand mm -hmm. what he's seeing. It was like this simultaneous mixture of excitement and shame mm -hmm. and curiosity mixed with guilt and mm -hmm. a feeling of pleasure mixed with a feeling of fear all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I can't explain it other than it, it just hooked me. It hooked my brain. It hooked my mind. It hooked my uh, emotions. Mm -hmm. And from the time I was probably about 11 to the time I was about 14 or 15, it was a constant, it was a constant presence in my life um, of, of, internet pornography and then, um, porn on like cable channels, you know, at my grandparents' house. And then, you know, things like lingerie magazines and catalogs and things like that. Anything I could get my hands on as a young dude. And then I had a conversion experience when I was, um, 14. I really, that was when I really got born again and I started trying to battle it. But then, you know, when I went off to college and I had, I had internet, you know, at my fingertips mm. for the first time, it was just like, it was just right there, you know? Mm. And so, man, I, I struggled with using pornography frequently and on a regular basis from the time, um, you know, I was 11 till around the time I was about 23, 24. I mean, just constantly yeah. in my life. And then after getting married, you know, I, I genuinely before I got married, took steps to get accountability and to get help and to talk to other men about it. Um, but even through our marriage, you know, and I've talked about this in earlier episodes, you know, I've been married 10 years and there were times even in our marriage when that was a struggle mm -hmm. um, where I would slip back in and, and have to confess that to my wife and get more accountability that surround me. And, and so, yeah, this is a, a near and dear topic, I think, because it, not just as something that that has been a battle in my life, but man, in ever since I've started ministry, I have, man, I I, I think probably once a week, mm. a man will reach out to me in my church, yeah, telling me about a struggle, or confessing maybe even for the very first time that this is a struggle, yeah, and I've seen it lead to divorce in some marriages. I've seen it lead to men losing their ministries, losing their jobs. I've seen it do horrible, horrible, horrible things. I've seen men that I'm connected to 
that were in our church um, go to prison because their foray into porn led them into child pornography. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, uh, I'm a little intimidated talking about this today just because of how dark and just insidious of a topic this is, man. This is so pervasive and so dark and so nasty. And, and when I say nasty, I'm not saying that to shame anybody that may struggle with it. I'm saying nasty as in what it does to us as human beings, especially as followers of Jesus. It's so, so yeah. evil. Well, the root, the root of it is nasty and the root of it is ultimately, you know, the love of money. But yeah, I think, I think we're doing the right thing. I think we're setting a tone of grace and humility and saying to people who are listening and men who are listening or women who are listening saying, you know, Hey, we, we struggled with this in our past and we are humans. We are, we're fallen as well. We're broken sinners. And mm -hmm. one of the things we do is unfortunately we, um, we put pastors up on a pedestal and say that they're, they're, um, you know, untouchable or something. And they've never had these kinds of problems. They're, they're too holy to have these kinds of problems, but that's right. absolutely far from the truth. But to have this level of transparency with, with those around us, those in our sphere of influence or men in our, in our churches and congregations mm -hmm. is very important in terms of having that breakthrough and saying, Hey guys, if you come to me and you have this problem, if you come to me and you open up about this, number one, you've got complete confidence that stays between you and I. And, and number two, I will never cast judgment on you because I can't cast judgment on you because yep. I, I have fallen in that area multiple times mm -hmm. I can speak from a, a place of, of relatability and tell you, this is how I overcame that. And I can pray with you and I can help bring accountability into your life. And so, yeah, I think and it's really important too, like you mentioned, like Jenny and marrying somebody, and this is really important. We look for spouses that have that level of grace with us and when we do mess up. And we, we feel like we can open up to them and say, I need to confess something and that they don't, you know, flip out and, and throw the book at us. And like, but they, but they look at us and they pray with us and say, thank you so much for coming to me. And I love you. And, and I'm going to be there yeah. with you. And we're going to pray about this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, and this is just, this comes from just me talking with a lot of married couples. I think for some women, that's a lot harder because if, they've come from backgrounds of sexual trauma or even abuse mm. um, to know that the man that they have connected their life with through the covenant of marriage uh, has willingly chosen to subject himself to sexual depravity is very painful. And sometimes being understanding and being full of grace feels like excusing. And so finding that balance between, you know, allowing their husband to, to take personal responsibility and say, you can't blame this on anything. You made that decision to go visit that website. You made that decision to click. You made the decision to sit and watch. But also at the same time, understanding that if a man has an addiction to pornography, it's not as easy as him just snapping his fingers and saying, okay, well, never doing that again. Mm -hmm. and, and hopefully today as we talk about the neurology and the science behind what pornography does to the male brain, maybe some, maybe some understanding can, can take place in that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. let's, let's start with just talking about some statistics on pornography and, and its pervasiveness. Uh, Barna group, which is a Christian research agency and um, covenant eyes, they teamed up together to put out just some statistics on just the pervasiveness of pornography and kind of, how many people are affected by this? Uh, 
Over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites, and the average visit lasts six minutes and 29 seconds. So for most people, this is not just one picture flashes on their screen, they exit out. It is an intentional, you know, long enough to have some sort of a a sexual arousal, I would think. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are around 42 million pornographic websites. That totals about 370 million pages of porn. The porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. (laughs) Which is crazy. And you said this earlier, a lot of this just stems from the love of money. Yeah. That's the motivating factor behind people who create it and propagate it. Um, It's also more than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC, the television networks. Uh, 47% of families in the U.S. report that pornography is a problem in their home. Pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think it breeds a lot of insecurity. You know, mm. if, it, if a if a woman knows that her husband is addicted to pornography, she's automatically going to think, "What what is lacking about me?" Mm. You know, and that that insecurity is going to breed uh, more problems. Obviously, that that will grow the fruit of um, mistrust and ultimately divorce. Yeah, or a, a man could begin to confuse fantasy from reality, and yeah go out and look for a partner other than his spouse because he's watching and looking at people other than his spouse online. So, yeah. Uh, we said this earlier, 11 is the average age a child is first exposed to porn. 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. That's Mm. heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, 56% of American divorces involve one party having a quote, obsessive interest in pornographic websites. 70% of Christian youth pastors report they've had at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with pornography in the last 12 months. 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. That is heartbreaking. Uh, of young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively search for porn. 59% of pastors say that married men seek their help for porn use. I would agree with that. I feel like I get requests for help in that area all the time. Um, something interesting just from uh, reading the statistics, there are more and more women that have started watching porn than ever before. Uh, 33% of women aged 25 and under search for porn at least once a month. And only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they never watch porn. So at least 87% of Christian women have, women have seen porn at one point in their lives. Mm. Uh, 55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. And 57% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation. 69% say porn has adversely impacted the church. I would be in that number as well. I have seen it damage the families in my congregation. I have seen people completely um, sidelined spiritually because of 
pornography addiction and it's a, a real, real, real issue. So, um, yeah. So what, which of these statistics surprises you the most? Hmm. There's a lot of surprising ones in there, but I think, uh, 11 being the average age a child is first exposed to porn. Um, and that 90, almost hundred percent of children will see porn by the age of 14. I think that that's shocking and sad and speaks to the necessity of us getting out ahead of that as parents and sitting our kids down. There's a great book I want to recommend to everybody called, um, good pictures, bad pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's written for, for, um, you know, kids in that eight, nine, 10, 11 range. Um, but get out ahead of it as parents, talk about it, talk about the dangers of it. Um, because yeah, I, just like you said, Josh, I remember at just such a young age being exposed to it, you know, probably, probably that 10 or 11 range and being confused and not really having tools in my kit to say, oh, I know what that is. And I'm going to run from that. I'm going to flee from that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's so important. We educate our, our kids on this, but yeah, the, the other shocking one obviously is just how many pastors struggle with this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's just absolutely heartbreaking, but, um, yeah. What about you? I think that one of the things that, um, is surprising to me and heartbreaking to me is the, uh, that's the phone ringing, by the way, I'm not going to answer it. Um, honestly, I think the, the amount of women that have started to watch it. And, and I think one of the things that we're seeing is that, um, more and more women are watching it because of the societal pressure to normalize it. Mm-hmm. Because like, I don't think there's anything about pornography that is in the least bit um, normal. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. <laughs> like that is not the normative expression of sexuality. It is, it is a defilement and a distortion of sexuality. Yeah. But I, I don't know because I don't have the, I don't know if there's any way to do the research, but I, I want to say that there might be a lot of women who get involved in watching porn because they have boyfriends or husbands that do. And they think, okay, so what's, what's the allure of it? And they find themselves as addicted and just as messed up from it. Yeah. yeah. And that's really sad to me because I don't, I mean, honestly, like I don't know any, woman that would willingly subject herself to the kind of horrible abuse that these women are subjected to when they are, when they, when they are pornographic performers, because essentially these women are being sexually assaulted and paid to pretend like they enjoy it. Mm. And to say that's somewhat normal and to say that that's just like a part of culture. And, you know, that's, that's just really sad to me. And the yeah. fact that that's becoming more and more normalized amongst both genders is really, really sad. I mean, it's sad that men watch it, but it's really sad that as, as men, we're supposed to be like protectors and providers and defenders of women. And instead we're misleading them in that. And that's just really sad to me. Yeah. When you, when you put it in context of like, let's say your kid sees hardcore pornography before you even sit them down and tell them what holy sex is what biblical sexuality should be like. And, you know, before you even sit them down and tell, tell them what different body parts are supposed to do, where babies come from, think about that. Mm-hmm. Before you even have that conversation with them, if they get exposed to hardcore pornography, that becomes their normative, like, uh, reference point for what sex is. Yeah. That, that's, that's, 
where they get their information from. And there's many people who, many parents who just never end up having that conversation with their children. Mm -hmm. And so their whole education, those children, their whole education and world, what they, their, their, their normal reference point for what sexuality looks like comes from hardcore pornography. So take a young man who's steeped in that, and then he gets married to a godly young woman. Uh, that's yeah. just a recipe for disaster, but it's, it's happening time and time again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, like, um, one of the books that I've been reading in, in preparation for this podcast episode is the book wired for intimacy, how pornography hijacks the male brain. It's by a guy named William Struthers. He's a neuroscientist and researcher. Uh, you know, he talks about how someone that is like schooled in sex through pornography like they learn about it and they're exposed to it and they um, pornography becomes their point of reference for what is sex and what is healthy sex. It leads to expectations that are completely not realistic for how mm. sex is supposed to look, how it's supposed to feel, how it's supposed to be. And even expectations placed on not only a spouse, which that's so damaging thinking mm. that a spouse is going to, perform sexually like in a, like an adult, uh, you know, adult film actress, but even on oneself as a man thinking that unless, um, you know, as a man, this, this man performs at a certain level sexually, then that sexual experience was not authentic or not pleasurable for their partner. And, and it just becomes this really messed up frame of reference that distorts this beautiful gift that God's given us into something that, looks nothing like what God intended it to look like. And it's really sad. Mm. Um, so here's a, here's a, a place to kind of launch off of as we talk about this topic. And, and it's this, what is pornography or how would we define it? And that seems like a really simple question, <laughs> but uh, this has been a much debated definition for really the past hundred years. Um, among artists, among government censorship agencies. Um, and so a lot of people go back and forth because, you know, the question is, so what makes something porn, right? Um, if it's nudity, then someone would say, well, then, you know, all these sculptures of uh, Greek and Roman goddesses, you know, that's pornographic, right? Um, people would say the, the human form is not pornography. Uh, pornography is really in the eye of beholder of the beholder. Cause if that's pornography to you, that's actually art to me. And so, uh, people go back and forth on this. Does that make sense? Why that's such a debated mm -hmm. definition? Sure. Sure. So yeah. the term pornography is actually derived from the Greek word, uh, porne, which can be translated as female captives or prostitutes. So pornography is, literally the act of watching prostitution. Hmm. So a uh, female or even a male that is doing something sexual and they're getting compensated for it monetarily. And we are watching that and participating that that is a textbook definition just on the very name of what pornography is. Does that make sense so far? Yeah. That, 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 uh, it's a lot heavier when you put it that way, for sure. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's essentially 
someone goes to a strip club and those people taking off their clothes at the strip club are what the Greek world would consider and the Roman world consider prostitutes. Hmm. They're doing something to elicit sexual arousal for someone else in return for monetary con- compensation. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's a strip club or an, an OnlyFans model or a pornographic video actress, it's the same thing. Yeah. And we don't like to think of it that way, that we're actually watching a prostitute. That's exactly what the definition of pornography actually means. <laughs> hmm. So uh, the book I mentioned earlier, Wired for Intimacy, How Pornography Hijacks the Male Brain, uh, William Struthers writes this. He says, to a clearly ordered mind and conscience, the distinction between pornography and art is easily discernible, if not readily definable. There's a clear difference between artistic nudity and the exploitation of the human form and sexuality. Those who wish to value artistic expression can ask a series of questions to distinguish pornography from true art. First question is, how are women and men portrayed? Are they portrayed as people or as objects to be lusted after? Number two, how is sexual intimacy represented? Is it within a marital relationship or in isolation? And number three, what is the purpose intended by the producer of the image or the media? You following us so far? Yeah, I think, I mean, as, as with a Christian and biblical worldview, you know, we should not be looking at any images of naked humans. It's, it's kind of simple for us. Right. Like and, I mean, the, the secular world has to grapple with that kind of question. Like, well, what is pornography? What's not pornography? And, you know, can we, what, you know, like what's the difference between a naked woman in National Geographic magazine versus, you know, something we see on Pornhub or something like that. Whereas in biblical worldview, it's like, you know, there, there's certain parts of your body of another human. We should just not see, we should, we should cover up and express, you know, mod- modesty. So it's a little bit simpler for us, a little bit more clear cut for us, I think. Yeah, no, I would agree with that completely. Yeah. So Merriam-Webster defines pornography as the depiction of erotic behavior as in pictures or writing intended to cause sexual excitement. Uh, American Heritage Dictionary refers to pornography as sexually explicit pictures, writing, or other material whose primary purpose is to cause sexual arousal. Dictionary.com says pornography is obscene writings, drawings, or photographs, or the like especially those having little or no artistic merit. And I think that's interesting, an interesting distinction though, Gabe, like there's a way that a disordered mind and a depraved or uh, tainted or deadened conscience can take something that's not intended to be pornographic and make it that way. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, a young boy stealing a Sears catalog Mm -hmm. of underwear models that, those models are there to sell underwear to ladies <laughs> taking that and pornographizing yeah. that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're just bent towards evil, you know, and the right. heart of the heart of man is just corrupt and evil. Yeah. Uh, the catechism of the Catholic church defines pornography. This is a very interesting definition. Pornography consists of removing real or simulated sexual acts from the intimacy of the partners in order to display them deliberately to third parties. It offends against chastity because it perverts the conjugal act, the intimate giving of spouses to each other. It does grave injury to the dignity of its participants, actors, vendors, the public, since each one becomes an object of base pleasure and illicit profit for others. It immerses all who are involved in the illusion of a fantasy world. It is a grave offense. 
Hmm. It's a very interesting depiction of that. Yeah. Because it's basically speaking to to voyeurism and kind of that voyeuristic spirit that that uh, pornography elicits. Hmm. Yeah. But a working definition, and this is for anybody listening. We can, here's one of the, the reasons I think it's important to have a definition. There's a lot of guys that I'll counsel and talk to that say, I don't look at pornography. I just look at Playboy from time to time. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Or I don't watch pornography. I just sometimes hop on Instagram and there's, you know, these models that are in lingerie or they're in bikinis or in swimsuits. And I'm, I'm not looking at porn. I'm just, you know, I'm on Instagram. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's important for us to define technically what pornography is would be any sexually explicit picture, video, writing, or any material at all whose primary purpose is to cause sexual arousal. Hmm. So that would be pornographic websites, videos, pay-per-view cable channels, books, magazines, movie, phone sex, strip clubs, escort services, Instagram accounts, OnlyFans accounts, anything a person consumes for the sheer purpose of sexual arousal would fit the textbook definition of pornography. And, and it's been my experience that a lot of guys will be in denial about their pornography usage mm-hmm. because they're not watching hardcore triple X pornographic movies. They say, well, I don't struggle with porn. But they actually do. <laughs> yeah. Not even struggle in it. They're defeated and conquered by it. They give into it. They're addicted to it, but they don't even know they are because they're denying it. Yeah. Yeah. Rationalizing it. Yeah. 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 That's easy to do. Yeah. It is. So, does the Bible say anything about pornography? Does Jesus mention it? <laughs> yeah. A, whole, a lot. All right. Talk us through that. Well, I think I think a, a good working definition of pornography too would be something that causes you. Um, I mean, maybe not a good def- definition of pornography, but I think that we need to be fleeing from sexual immorality, and part of that comes along with anything that causes you to look at a woman with a sense of lust behind it, a motivation of lust behind it, and it could be like you know, I would never in a million years actually act on that lust, but if there's if there's websites or if there's videos or YouTube or whatever the case may be that's constantly putting images in front of you that are causing you to picture that person um, in a lustful way or desire that person in a sensual way, I think that that's that's in the category like that that's where we need to draw the line mm-hmm. because you know Matthew five Jesus says that you've heard it said do not commit adultery. But I tell you that any man who looks at a woman with the purpose of lusting after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And yeah. I, I think I think that, that that's really heavy and that's really damning for me as well as a human, as a man. But And he says, if your right eye makes you sin, then gouge it out, throw it away. It's better that you enter or it's better that you lose one part of you than, than all of you thrown into hell. Oh. And so, in other words, I, I don't think we're supposed to, I think we're supposed to be willing to take drastic measures to reduce the opportunity to lust after people, yeah. you know, people who are not our spouse. So, yeah, yeah I think that that's where I, I kind of tend to draw the line in my mind is like, 
you know, I, I think I think Satan likes to play the long con game. And if he could put little images in front of us that are pretty benign, but cause us to to admire the figure of a woman or a man, um, then he from there he can boil the frog. Absolutely. And usually it it takes us a lot farther than we want to go for most mm-hmm. people. Yeah. You know? Um, so that word where we get the word pornography is actually shows up in the scripture several times, the word porne. Um, and it shows up in the scripture as the Greek word pornaneia, which is translated as fornication, whoredom, or sexual immorality. There's actually 26 references to pornaneia where we get the word prostitute or, uh, yeah, prostitute. But uh, again, pornography is the act of watching prostitution. Um, and really, when Paul, the Apostle Paul, mentions pornaneia, the whole point is that as believers, we're not to conform to the cultural norms that surround us, that we live in a world that's obsessed with pornaneia, that's obsessed with sexual immorality. And so Paul writes to the church in Corinth, which, by the way, Corinth was one of the centers in the ancient world for prostitution, like a level of depravity that would make Las Vegas look like a summer church camp. I mean, <laughs> just just everywhere you went, there was pornonea, there was prostitution, there was sexual morality. And so Paul says to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 6, 13, your body was not made for pornonea, that we should run from pornonea. That's 1 Corinthians 6, 18. We should not seek it out in 1 Corinthians 7, 2. And we should repent if we fall prey to pornonea. That's 2 Corinthians 12. And Gabe, you mentioned in Matthew 5, 28, Jesus says, if you lust after another person in your mind that you're not married to, that's the same as committing adultery. That's breaking one of the main commandments of God. Um, 1 John 2, 16 talks about the lust of the eyes is a, is a huge part of sin. That's a huge category of sin. So that's what pornography is. It causes us to lust with our eyes after flesh. And then Philippians 4, 8, uh, the Bible says that we're to think about whatever is pure, and pornography is certainly not that. So I think there's a pretty clear biblical answer for the Bible prohibiting pornography. Can you think of anything else the Bible would say about that, prohibiting it? Yeah, I think that's that's a really good uh, comprehensive uh, maybe comprehensive list of verses that that address this issue. And that's this is exciting because I think and I think maybe we should um make these show notes available for people who, who, um, want to use them as a resource because, um, you know, this is, this is the kind of thing that we should be studying and printing out and writing out and putting on our computer screens, you know, and the the wallpaper of our phones. And, and because we have to be constantly vigilant against temptation and schemes of of, of Satan. And I think I've said this in episodes past, but every man of God, I believe has the potential to fall on what I call the three G's and that would be gold girls and glory. Mm. In other words, Satan can take us down. He can destroy our faith and he can, he can profane the name of the creator through us through those three things. But I think that this is a really good list. And, and um, yeah, I don't know if we can, if we can put this in a Google document or post it on Facebook or something like that, that would be I'm just, I'm thinking preemptively people may, might ask for this list, but yeah. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. And, um, one of the things that I, I found super helpful about the book that I keep mentioning, which by the way, Dr. William Struthers, it's called, uh, wired for intimacy, how pornography hijacks the male brain. Um, he has a chart that, um, 
Gabe, I sent to you, and it, it basically is mm-hmm. contrasting godly, healthy sexuality with pornography, which is unhealthy sexuality. Mm-hmm. And and he says that one of the the biggest reasons that pornography is such a horrible thing is it dishonors the image of God in an individual mm-hmm. because it treats that individual as a sexual object to be consumed directly or indirectly. And it teaches its students to focus on the physiology of sexual sensations and not on the relationships for which those sensations are intended. Yeah. Which I think that's such a, that's such a huge idea that what pornography and unhealthy sexuality does is it essentially diminishes this glorious gift that God gave that's intended to, and we'll talk about this here in a minute, um, foster intimacy, and it just reduces it to just this cheap distortion that damages. It doesn't build up. It damages. It hurts. Uh, So he gave us this chart. This is William Struthers, by the way, and and this chart uh, just contrasts the two. And so godly, healthy sexuality is first. Pornography, unhealthy sexuality, second. So I'll just read this real quick. So uh, caring, which is godly, healthy sexuality, versus using. Sharing with someone versus doing to someone. Honoring versus shameful. Authentic versus deceitful. Enhances your identity versus compromises your identity. Emotional bonding versus emotional separateness. Spiritual unity versus spiritual separateness, morally saturated versus free of moral convention, communication is essential versus communication is optional, others directed versus selfish and self-directed, biblical boundaries versus has no limits, involves all the person versus is visual and genital, naturally drives us toward intimacy versus unnaturally drives us towards compulsions, naturally drives us towards sanctification versus unnaturally drives us towards depravity, matures into responsible habits versus escalates towards irresponsible risks, nurtures the spouse versus hurts the partner, is an expression of love versus an expression of usefulness, humanizes versus objectifies, honors the image of God in you versus dishonors the image of God in you, Honors the image of God in your spouse versus dishonoring the image of God in another. And, and the last one, it provides emotional, moral, psychological, and relational clarity versus it produces emotional, moral, psychological, and relational confusion. Hmm. Yeah, that that's like a super long list, but I feel like I had to read it all because yeah, it shows how abnormal... <laughs> And against God's design, this is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's intense. And I, I think, you know, one of the ways it affects us just spiritually, I mean, when you look at the role of a marriage, the, the marriage in light of eternity is that we act out this, uh, this skit, this little play, so to speak, of God's love for humanity, his redemptive love and grace for humanity. Um, and so we're supposed to act that out in our marriages. And so I'm I'm to be Christ, sacrificially laying down my life for my bride, and my bride is to remain pure, and I'm supposed to provide for her all of her needs, and so on and so forth. There's, you know, this this beautiful imagery that's being portrayed in my marriage. But what's interesting about pornography, it's like, you know, if 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 I want 
within a marriage, let's say, if you want to get your spouse in bed and you want to be intimate with your spouse, which is good and holy and biblical and beautiful, um, to, to have that, that time of intimacy. But in order to get there, you can't just trash talk your wife the entire day and, and speak critically to her or show her no affection throughout the day. Mm-hmm. You have to, you have to show her love. You have to show her tenderness. You, you have to speak words of encouragement and words of love and affirmation, you know, and not in a manipulative way, like, oh man, later tonight, I'm going to get some, you know, it's not like that. It's it's because you truly love this person. You have a friendship with them and you cherish them as a gift. And then maybe out of that comes the ultimate form of intimacy, but Mm -hmm. juxtapose that with how easy it is to click on a website and view pornography. And what that does and how it decreases your incentive to want to do those things for your wife because you're like, well, why would I go through all that hassle of like being kind to her and showing her love and speaking words of affirmation, spending quality time with her and showing her, her affection, you know, like why would I do all of that as a man when it doesn't really benefit me? You know, like I could just get that fix and that sexual fix and that intimate fix on the internet with less than five clicks of a mouse. Yes. And, and here's the crazy damaging part about that. Um, that is not only like a horrible way to train a man's character (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it's basically saying to a man, women do not exist as people for you to love and cherish and honor, but they exist as sexual commodities for you to use. Right. That's essentially Mm -hmm. what, that relationship to sex does through porn, but it also damages the human brain. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and we'll get into the science of it here in a minute, but like basically our brain has this reward system that's necessary for us to survive and procreate. And so when we do things like eat or have sex or experience pleasure, our brain creates new neural pathways with a chemical called dopamine. Um, That dopamine is limited, but our brain has it nonetheless. And so we get dopamine releases. Uh, But when we watch porn, it bypasses our prefrontal cortex and goes straight to the limbic system in huge supply. And so basically what it means is like a sexual release is a reward system that our brain has and leading to get that reward are things like courtship and pursuing a person and having a good relationship with that person. And then we get that release that is a sexual release, which, you know, dopamine release. Are you following that so far? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But if we go straight to the dopamine release, because we're clicking on a website or we're pulling up a picture of a two people already having sex and we skip all that. And we just, our brain basically gets trained to say, I can get the dopamine instantaneously. Mm Mm-hmm. And so what happens is we create neural uh, pathways in our brains that are like giant caverns. They're like highways where people that are on pornography and they use pornography, they get addicted to a dopamine release. Yeah. And so it it not only damages their character and how they commodify, is that a word? Commoditize, commodify. (laughs) They make sex into a commodity. They make women into a commodity. But it also damages their brain Mm -hmm. because their brain basically gets rewired. 
Yeah, and like, like physiologically damages our brain. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's an article called What Porn Does to Your Brain and How to Quit, and the guy's name, I'm probably going to mess it up, Muhammad Muhammad Ezra Ez Ishmael, I think I think of Office Space. Nahinana, Nahinana, I'm not going to work here anymore. <laughs> um, Media Magazine, August 29th, 2020, you can look it up. But it goes into this. This is fascinating, and a lot of this stuff is way over my head because this is all like neurochemistry and all this stuff, and if you want to go look it up, you can. But basically, it f- the, the the research has found that men who watch porn have less gray matter volume in their brains. Their brains literally shrink. And it's all because the brain gets addicted to a dopamine release without the necessary buildup to that dopamine. Hmm. And brain imaging scans basically find a frequent pornography watcher to be almost identical to the brain of a heroin addict. Wow. And the neurological effects are brain fog, um, erectile dysfunction, and in some men as young as like 22 years old. Wow. Uh, lack of motivation. Um, other studies, there's a great TED Talk called The Great Porn Experiment. It's on YouTube. You can look it up. And he talks about how because of this hyperarousal that pornography addicts experience, they don't have any ability to stay focused on one thing in order to get a reward because you don't have to, you can just click Mm -hmm. and there's thousands of videos and pictures. And so you don't have to focus on anything. You don't have to be motivated to actually pursue one woman and love one woman and care for one woman for the rest of your life. Like God intended, you have thousands of women of any shape or size or hair color or body type right in front of you. And so it rewires your brain to where you don't have any motivation or any focus to pursue anything good. Mm -hmm. Um, Emotional numbness, loss of interest in spouse or in an actual woman, (laughs) Mm. Uh, social anxiety. And then probably the worst uh, frequent pornography users report. There is a loss of taste in soft porn that eventually escalates to more violent porn because the yeah. brain likes novelty. Hmm. And so it's not as much, oh man, I find that woman very attractive and I want to see that woman doing It's the brain wants to see something new. Oh, I saw a video like that last week. I want to see something new. What is, what's the, where does that train end, right? Someone wants to see something so novel that it becomes, they want to see something that's off limits. Yeah, And, and this is why people get into violent pornography and even things like kitty porn and things like that is because the, the brain basically takes it further and further and further. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And actually it reminded me of a 1989 interview between Ted Bundy and Dr. James Dobson mm-hmm. yep. where Ted Bundy, you know, like a serial murderer and rapist uh, who's in prison at the time talks about that progression from soft porn um, into, I need something more intense. I need something better. And eventually he's actually acting these fantasies out on real women. Um, but it's, it's fascinating. I think you could find it on YouTube. It's yeah, Ted, you T- Ted Bundy and Dr. James Dobson talk about, talk about Ted Bundy's porn addiction basically. So yeah. definitely, definitely startling. Just check it out if you have the time. Yeah. It's super interesting. And I'll just say this about it. Um, a lot of criminologists and, uh, psychologists, that specialize in aberrant uh, psychiatry have 
made the remark that Ted Bundy was basically trying to manipulate one last time before going to the electric chair and blame shift. Mm, wow. Which could have been happening. I don't know. That's a whole nother. I'm a bit of a, uh, of a junkie when it comes to like criminology, psychology and stuff <laughs> like that. Maybe that makes me messed up in the head, but, um, I watched a series of documentaries called the Ted Bundy tapes uh, a little while ago. And it basically documents him as an individual and, Hmm. He definitely took a foray into depravity. I don't think pornography helped, Mm-mm. but I I don't know if it was to blame, but it, yeah, just a side note on that. But yes, that is a very interesting interview. Yeah. Craziest part of that interview is Dr. Dobson's interview in Ted Bundy. And while he's interviewing Ted Bundy, they're testing the electric chair. And so the power surges in and out. <laughs> Sheesh. <laughs> yeah. All right. So why, because, okay, here's the deal. Most Christians, when we talk about this topic, I've never met a Christian that's gone, well, I thought pornography was harmless. Like everybody knows it's bad, right? Yeah. Sometimes we don't know how bad it is, but everybody knows it's bad. But some people go, well, why can't I quit? And I think the bigger question is, why do people still choose to watch it even when they know it's bad? Um, There was a... Research journal report uh, where they interviewed people who were pornography watchers and asked them why they watch pornography. And most of us would go, well, oh, obviously it's for sexual pleasure. But that was only one category that was reported on. Hmm. The other reasons that people reported were curiosity, fantasy or escape, self-exploration, lack of sexual satisfaction, boredom avoidance, emotional distraction or suppression, and then stress reduction. Hmm. And what I found so interesting about that is that God has given us this gift called sex. And healthy sexuality between a husband and wife is a gift that's been given to us to create, build, and foster intimacy. Mm -hmm. And intimacy is this close familiarity or friendship or closeness. And so we're all wired to experience that and, and real intimacy that God has given us, it does bring with it pleasure. It does evoke curiosity and self-exploration. It is emotionally healing. It does reduce stress and it can be an escape from the pains and boredoms of life. Mm-hmm. And these are all, all the reasons people say they chose to watch pornography because of that. I'm just thinking too, like this is like a negative cycle that when you jump on, you know, you form an addiction or dependency on um, pornography, you're, you're actually detracting from the intimacy of your, with your spouse and you're, you know, you're diminishing trust with your spouse and friendship with your spouse. And so it's increasing your need for intimacy. It's increasing your stress. It's increasing boredom. It's increasing, you know, uh, just, just emotional detachment. And so you're turning more and more to pornography to fill those needs. So it's creating this massive cycle of, of dependency and addiction. Um, when, if that could be reversed, uh, all those needs would be met through healthy marriage and and sexuality. Um, and so it's just so sad. It's like, how do you, how do you break that cycle? You know? Yeah. Well, and, and the crazy part is true intimacy is only experienced when both people in that relationship feel safe enough to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and physical intimacy that takes place between a husband and wife 
only happens when they make themselves vulnerable, open and available to each other during that act of sex. But pornography mm-hmm. promises that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then doesn't deliver. Yeah. Yeah. Because it can, it, it never requires the viewer to get vulnerable. Um, the, the viewer is kind of allured into looking in on a couple that experience, appears to be experiencing it or looking at this artificial sexual partner who is making themselves vulnerable by unclothing themselves. But the viewer itself never has to get vulnerable. And so someone is lured in with this false promise of intimacy and then only leaves with shame, guilt, loneliness, emotional numbness, brain fog, and this damaged, distorted brain and this this guilty conscience. Um, but do you think in a moment people are just completely unaware of that? Yeah, I think you I think you block all that out. I think I think someone who hears all these statistics and hears all these physiological facts and stuff and, and here's all these Bible verses, you know, that we're throwing out. I think in the moment, I think the temptation can be so strong that you just completely push all that out mentally. And you just can, you just have this drive and this, this desire, um, that yeah, can lead you to, to places that, um, per- perpetuate that cycle, that negative cycle. Yeah. And in the moment, I think what any human being is really desiring is something they can't attained by watching porn. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the, the tragic part about this is that, um, you know, a beautiful, healthy marriage is one that, that produces a, a lot of intimacy and a lot of satisfaction in that way. But it, yeah, it's, it's, um, this, this world is, is growing, um, as, as information, I guess the access to information is growing more and more broad and accessible. It's like, um, I think I think our our vigilance has to grow in proportion to that as well, and our knowledge and our combativeness towards this evil has to grow in proportion to that access to information. But I think I mean, so like Josh, you and I could never have twenty years ago imagined this little thing that I'm holding in my hand called an iPhone. Yeah, it, it just it's it's completely unimaginable to us just 20, 20, 25 years ago, thirty years ago. And can you imagine? 10 years from now, can you imagine 15, Mm. 20 years from now, the things that we can't imagine now are going to be a reality then and how much greater the temptation. I mean, the the pornography and the industry of pornography is going to be this completely immersive experience that is going to tap into even more of our senses than just our sight and our, and our, and our hearing. Well, yeah. I mean, we talked about this in the artificial intelligence episode. Um, Yeah. Some of the, like developers and pioneers and and people that are kind of in the front guard of developing artificial intelligence are pornographers because they're developing like sex dolls. They're developing um, immersive VR experiences that promise to give people sexual, sexual encounters without the messiness of another human being. (laughs) Yep. Yep which is crazy because we're still distorting the image and likeness of God in that. Mm. So it's not a victimless crime. Um, so yeah, that's, so here's the hope. Let's, let's end on a hope note, not a hopelessness. I know this has been a really heavy episode, but mm. how can somebody stop? Cause if the numbers are true, 68% of men that listen to this podcast that are Christians Mm-hmm. probably view porn at least once a month. Mm. 
And some of them may have just said, you know what, this is always going to be in my life. I just, I need to do my best to manage it. Just keep it hidden. And just, you know, that's the best I can hope for. Is it possible for someone to have victory over this? Is it possible for someone to actually stop and live in such a way that they're not enslaved to this? Yeah, I think the verse that you have cited here in the, in the notes is perfect. John fifteen five. apart from me, you can do nothing. So I think mm-hmm. remembering that we have died to sin and we've been born again and we have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us and, and convicting us. And man, if that, if Holy Spirit is still working on you and convicting you, that's a good sign. There's hope, you know, mm-hmm. it means this, the Holy Spirit striving with you and, and telling you, man, Gabe, you really messed up there. You shouldn't have done that or don't do that. Don't do that. You're going to put yourself in a position. So I think, yeah, yeah, there's, there's hope, but you have to remember that, um, alone that you cannot do it. You yeah. need, you need the power of Christ. You need the power of the Holy spirit living in, and working inside you. Absolutely. I think that if someone is really going to get free from this, they have to get honest with themselves mm-hmm. and they have to get honest with God about what they're doing. So any person that downplays it or minimizes it or justifies it or excuses it. Right. Like I mentioned earlier where I don't look at porn. I just, you know, I hop on Instagram every now and again and look at bikini models. Mm-hmm. Okay. Get, get honest with yourself. <laughs> is it really any that, is it really any different than what someone's doing spiritually when they watch a, a video of someone having sex? Is, is it really all that different? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's tough. And, I, and, you know, overcoming temptation is like a muscle. And when you lift weights, you know, you, you don't go to the first time lifting weights. You don't go put, you know, the heaviest weights on there. You, you build up. Right. And, and I think resisting temptation for me anyways, is how, this is how it works in my life is that when I'm, when I'm tempted by something or when I'm tempted by an image, let's say, I, I, I almost like picture myself lifting weights in a sense like, okay, if I can get over this temptation, if I can push through and, and overcome this temptation, I have victory over that temptation. And mm-hmm. I have I have worked that muscle out so that the next temptation that comes along, it's like, oh man, this is let's this is another challenge now that I I can just, you know, I pray and I I, I Father, give me the give me the power to overcome this temptation. And I and I do, I gain victory over that. And so it's like I can I can jump these hurdles higher and higher. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, I fall. I I and that's something I think I think we really need to convey to listeners is guys, you will fall. Ladies, you will fall. Um, you know, that's, and, and when you do, that's not the end of the story. No, that just, that just means you need to get up and you need to keep trying. You need to keep working out that muscle. You need to put safeguards in your, in your very practical safeguards in your life, which we're going to talk about a few. Yeah. So yeah, Gabe, I appreciate you saying that. Cause I mean, even from a neurological perspective, not even from a spiritual perspective, for just a neurological perspective, if you are truly addicted. Quitting cold Turkey is probably not going to happen. <laughs> mm. Like you said earlier, <laughs> doesn't mean it can't God could zap you and you could just get a supernatural empowering from the Holy spirit to never, ever, ever, ever look again. God could do that. And I pray he does that for you. Yeah. But chances are your path to freedom and victory is going to be like what Gabe explained earlier it's probably going to be you getting up and walking you tripping and falling and you getting back up and you walking 
Mm -hmm. And you take five steps forward and six steps back and then six steps forward and five steps back and then seven steps forward and four steps back. And then over time, your ability to resist that sin and deny your flesh and say yes to God instead of yes to that lust, that ability grows and gets stronger. Yeah. And you, you find victory. You know, this is where getting uh, people to hold you accountable really comes into play. And you get that support from other people within your church, within your small groups or from your pastor, whoever, your wife. But, you know, having this network of people who can say, check in on you and say, how's it going? But celebrating these milestones of saying, you know what, I just like any, any addiction, you celebrate milestones. You say, wow, I've been one week without, you know, using this addiction or whatever it is. I've been a month now. And then making that known to people and, and bragging about that milestone and saying, hey, I, I'm pr- are you proud of me? I made it like, I made it six months now, you know? And, yeah. and the people, they can, they can lavish praise on you and say, good job, keep going, you've got this, you know? Yeah. Um, but don't put so much pressure on yourself that when you do fall, when you do fall for that temptation, that you com- you count yourself as a complete failure and you just completely give up. Absolutely. Well, First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. So an understanding of the gospel, I think, has to play into this. It's only the power of the gospel then we can get freedom. Yeah. That when we fail, we run to the cross. We don't run away from God. We run to God. And because we understand that our acceptance in the eyes of God is not contingent on our performance. Our acceptance in the eyes of God is contingent on the shed blood of Jesus and who we are in Christ. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to be holy. He does want us to be holy. But truly understanding and walking in holiness is first understanding the forgiveness that we have before God, our identity that we have in Christ, And then that frees us to be able to confess to another brother or sister in Christ when we have failed or confessing it to our spouse. I I really think that if you're married, you you probably need to have that conversation with your spouse. I know that's scary and that's terrifying for some guys to think about going to their spouse and telling their spouse, hey, look, I've, I've been, I've been doing this. I've been watching this. I've been looking at this. Please forgive me. But, um, Chances are, guys, like if you've been looking at this, your your wife probably can tell. She may not like be able to put her finger on what's going on, but she probably can tell there's something up. Mm. And so like a, a really good practice to get in with your your spouse is just no secrets. Yeah. Well, and that the beauty beautiful part of that is that produces trust in your relationship. You may think the opposite. You may think, oh, that's actually gonna turn her away or whatever. But if you married a godly man or a godly woman, that's going to, that's going to produce trust between the two of you and trust produces intimacy. Mm-hmm. And that intimacy, I'm talking about like sexual intimacy is going to lead you to be more satisfied in that area, which yeah. is going, which is going to, you know, while you're fighting this battle of temptation, that that's going to help to have more intimacy in your marriage, which is good and holy. And Absolutely. that's going to be redirected in a, in a good and holy way. Um, yeah, I, I think in a very practical way is like telling your wife, telling your husband, uh, respectively, saying my smartphone and my laptop, you know, that that there should be nothing in there that you should not have access to. Yep. 
and just say that to each other. Like as soon as this podcast is over, tell them, just go home and say, Hey, I, I don't want any secrets on this thing, this device. Yep. Go at any point, no questions asked. You should be able to go through and look through web browsing history. Yeah. Um, you should know the password to everything on there. Absolutely. Um, we are, we are one, we're a unit. Um, and we want to fulfill the purposes of God together. And but in order to make that happen, we got to have complete transparency and trust. Yeah, that's good. So I think first there's a spiritual component to this. So we need to go before the Lord mm -hmm. and repent and confess. Then we need to go to a brother or sister in Christ and repent and confess. If we're married, we need to repent and confess to our spouse, but then Real repentance, and I need, just need whoever's listening to this to really take note of this. Real repentance is not just feeling bad and saying, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. It is taking safeguards and putting those around you to prevent you from stumbling into this area again. Yeah. So a very practical tool, and man, if I could get sponsored by this software, I would, but I don't think they're listening. Covenant Eyes. Man, I've got Covenant Eyes on all my devices. I've got it on my phone. I've got it on my laptop. I've, I, we had it on my wife's laptop before her laptop crapped out. Um, X3 Watch. Uh, I love Covenant Eyes because what Covenant Eyes does is it doesn't just block you from going to uh, a website. It also, if you visit something and it it has a software that basically can pick up on if there's porno pornographic images on the screen, it'll take a screenshot of that, pixelate it and send it to your accountability partners. Wow. Which is super helpful. It's like a, <laughs> a whole new level of accountability built into all your screens. It's great. It really is. Yeah. Um, X3 watches the same thing. Uh, get off Instagram. If you struggle going on Instagram, looking up bikini and lingerie models, get off, uh, cut the cable. If that's where you struggle. Um, I even think like getting rid of your smartphone. If you can't handle it, man, go get a mm -hmm. dumb phone. Go get a flip mm -hmm. phone. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of guys I talk to that, man, they'll have covenant eyes. They'll have all that, but sometimes they'll download apps on their smartphone and, and try to access and go around their um, filtering software. Well, there's a way that you can delete all the apps off your smartphone that you don't use and then make it to where you can't download any other apps on your phone. Someone has to put in a password for you. So give your wife that password and just use your phone for only what you need to, to use it for. And if you're listening to this and you're like, well, that sounds drastic. Well, Jesus said, pluck out your eye and cut off your hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 And another, another just very practical thing is like keeping, keeping your device, like a laptop, let's say, or, or desktop computer, just keeping it in a very public place in your home, mm -hmm. like a, in a common area in your home, especially if you have children, um, you know, if, if, and when they have access to a computer, um, don't, don't allow them to lock the door of their bedroom and, and be on there. Like, no, put, put that, put that in the living room, put that in yes. like a home office and leave the door open. Yes. Um, and just make that a rule. You're in charge. You pay the internet. You can do that. Absolutely. And when you struggle with temptation or even if you give in to temptation, don't, use that as an excuse to bury this again under layers of self-deception and guilt and shame quickly, quickly, as quick as you can confess it to somebody, get prayer, get support and keep on fighting. Amen. And over time, here's the amazing thing about the human brain. The brain can rebuild. Mm-hmm. 
the brain can be restored. I actually think this is what the scripture may be referring to in the book of Romans, where it tells us to renew our minds. Mm. That our our brains, our, our minds can be restored and renewed, and the Holy Spirit is the one that takes the initiative in that. And our brains can be trained to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So we you know, think of something that's just out of nowhere, and we're like, man, oh, man, we, we take that thought captive. We, we don't dwell on it. Uh, we mm-hmm. bounce our eyes. It's not a sin to notice that a woman is attractive mm-hmm. or that a woman has certain parts of her body that are being accentuated because of what she has on. It is a sin to take a second glance. Mm-hmm. So if we notice that we're walking through Walmart and we see a woman that's dressed in a certain way or has certain physical characteristics she is accentuating through what she has on, then we notice it once. Okay, we bounce our eyes and we don't let that thought dwell. <laughs> And uh, we train our minds not to dwell on anything that would lead us to stumble. Why does it have to be Walmart? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was just trying to think of a place where a woman would wear not a much. place that you frequent. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. A water park. I don't, I don't know. What if, <laughs> I, I live in Woodbury, Tennessee, man. Come on. We got a Walmart around here. So Yeah. I hope I think I I hope that this has given people hope and I hope it's given them practical skills and and um just just broken down the 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 wall of communication and and said hey you know like we struggle with this this is something we have struggled with in our past and we've we've gained victory over it but that doesn't mean that we stop fighting it doesn't mean we stop being on our guard it means that we can be here as a resource for people um but yeah recognizing that we are all sin, sin knows no bounds and um, we have, we have to be, we have to be vigilant. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll say one more quick thing. Um, I think it is so much more helpful in talking about this topic with other brothers in Christ or sisters in Christ. If you have struggled with this in your past and God's given you victory over it, uh, don't talk about your struggle with this as in, Oh, that was me such a long time ago. But now that I'm this, I'll never struggle with it again. Like mm-hmm. we are all susceptible. We are all like human beings. I think Gabe, you've you've said that a couple of times. Like I don't think it helps anybody when we speak of struggles as like in these huge triumphalism term. That's kind of like when my son mm-hmm. goes, "Well, back when I was three, I used to poop in my pool up, but now that I'm five, I never do that anymore." And he's saying that mm-hmm. to his three year old sister. I mean, like. That doesn't really encourage her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So when we speak about this, not as like a ongoing uh, battle that we have to constantly be on our guard and be vigilant against, and we have to constantly continue to have ongoing accountability with this, mm-hmm. we don't really encourage people to continue fighting. We tell them that there is a certain point you get where you graduate from accountability yeah. that you never need it anymore. And that's just not true. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I, I picture my marriage kind of in my mind as like um, a city a city with walls around it and that our enemy is always looking and poking and prodding the defenses of this city. And my job as a husband is to be constantly walking the wall, constantly looking for, you know, weak points on the wall and saying, you know, where can the enemy penetrate through? And I need to shore up these defenses and the wall around this city around this, you could say a garden, let's say, because a marriage is very much like a garden. 
Yeah. Um, but think of it that way. And if in the moment you stop patrolling one aspect of, of this city's wall, this garden's wall, um, you know, you're, they're going to be tunneling under that wall, you know, and you're going to realize it's too late. So yeah, it's a constant battle, constant battle. Amen. Amen. Well, if you struggle with this and you need prayer or you need accountability, or you just want to talk to somebody and, uh, Man, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk to you. You can send us a Facebook message on the Facebook group or send us an email at beersandbiblepodcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, man, we'd love to help you in any way that we can. So hope and pray this was helpful. Hope and pray that this leads a lot of people to victory. And uh, Gabe, you want to say anything else? No, just thanks everyone for listening. And uh, let us know what you think. Just comment or send us an email. if This has been encouraging to you. So we want to hear your feedback. Absolutely. See you guys. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.